UFOs and TKOs. Episode 35 coming at you. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. And I apologize if I'm a little stuffed up, a little snuffy. Uh, I'm just recovering from the flu over the weekend. So that was fun as I got to miss my favorite Supercross racer get a win here in Arizona. Would have been my first time seeing Ken Roxon get the win. Super bummed about that. And uh, didn't get to do much for the Super Bowl, just trying to recover as I head to Salt Lake City this weekend for a uh, ski trip for ski hills in six days, two days of traveling. Really excited for some R&R, uh, some just time in nature, you know, shredding the pow that Utah has to offer. But I know you guys don't care about shredding the pow. You guys care about that MMA action. Uh, we got plenty of it in store as we recap UFC Vegas 86 and we preview the second pay-per-view card of 2024, UFC 298, going down in Anaheim, California. So let's jump right in. Some fights that have been booked. We have Bill Algeo taking on Kyle Nelson, March 30th on that fight night card. Um, two veterans, two good scrappy quality fighters. It should be a, a fun matchup. Probably the more surprising one, we have Umar Nurmagomedov taking on Bekzat Almakan March 2nd here soon. Uh, but Belzat, uh, Bekzat making his UFC debut. Umar, a ranked fighter. Uh, a guy that is thought of very highly. Uh, it just seems like nobody wants a piece of the Nurmagomedov. We got Emily Ducate taking on Vanessa Demopoulos March 18th. Two young women. That'll be a good scrap for them. We got Felipe Leans uh, actually rebooked against Jan Kutalaba for UFC 299. They just keep adding to that fantastic card in miami i am not mad about it as that is only a month away uh one of my other trips i have coming up we have joe anderson brito taking on jack shore at ufc 301 again that has been announced to be in rio de janeiro so a brazilian on the card there very good bantam or featherweight showdown uh two very good strikers in the flyweight division Charles Johnson wasn't wasting any time after his last win. He's taking on Jake Hadley, May 11th. Uh, should be a, a quality flyweight showdown. We have Terrence McKinney taking on Esteban Rabovics, also on that May 11th card. Always fun when T-Rex is in the octagon. And then the Jarzinho Rosenstrike Shamil Gazia fight is moved to the main event for the March 2nd fight night card. After um, the main event got scrapped due to, I think, someone getting injured. So not a lot of fights announced this week. Supposedly, Dana White announced just uh, probably about an hour before I, uh, I got on on this beautiful Tuesday evening. Uh, Dana White announced that after UFC 298 in the post-fight uh, post press conference, Sometimes they announce it up on the screen as well. They will announce the UFC 300 main event. Um, supposedly there's two potential fights being announced there as well. So there is now a timeline for UFC 300 going down on Saturday. We have in the boxing world, two solid names being booked. Three solid names, four really. 
Uh, we got Ryan Garcia taking on Devin Haney on 420. That should be a solid fight to see Ryan Garcia back since his loss. And then we have the great Canelo Alvarez taking on Jamal Charlo May 4th, right on Cinco de Mayo weekend. So Ryan Garcia, Canelo Alvarez, Devin Haney, Jamal Charlo for all of you boxing fiends. But we are going to recap this past weekend's event. UFC Fight Night Vegas 86. For the picks here at Bows and TKOs, I was 7-4 and four with one no contest. Uh, so a little bit better than last weekend. That puts the overall record 35 episodes deep at 217 wins, 102 losses, and 5 no contest draws. Whatever they could be. And on the year, that is 24 and 16. We're plus eight, two draws or no contact, no contests. So some good fights that we did not break down. We had Hyder Emil in his UFC debut get a round two TKO over Fernie Garcia, who took this fight on uh, short notice. But Hyder Emil was all over him. This was just a uh, classic clang and bang. And actually, Fernie Garcia... The fight got announced when he was called out on his feet. He was just defending himself completely out of it. Uh, so one hell of a scrap there. We had Bogdan Guskov with a round one knockout over Zach Pauga. That was a performance of the night. 50 G's fighting with his hands down. Bam! Landed a couple clean ones on Zach Pauga. That was an underdog pick that I had on the night. We also had Carlos uh, Pratt's with a round two knockout over Trevin Giles. Performance of the night, 50 G's for Carlos. What a nice knockout that was. And then another underdog win here that we had predicted. Ihor Poteria with a unanimous decision over Robert Brizik. Uh, nice underdog performance by Poteria. But we're going to kick it off. The first fight of the evening in the prelims, we had Daniel Marcos the fight that was a no contest against Arichi Long, Arichi Lang. Uh, I'm getting to say his name now after the telecast. Um, but yeah, this this was a, a, a great first round uh, until the no contest in the second round. It was a ton of fun, high volume striking for these bantamweights. You know, I, I did think Marcos was on his way to win after dealing some serious damage in the first round. Uh, Arichi Lang's nose was all broke up. And then round two was just nuts. It was um, Marcos, I poke, Arichi Lang, I poke, Marcos, ball shot, Arichi Lang, ball shot, Marcos, ball shot, fight's over. Arichi Lang took the full five minutes. The fight was called off, um, could not continue. So bummer to see it end that way, especially for Daniel, who probably feels like he got a win robbed from him. And when we break down the stats, Daniel landed 84 total strikes, 81 of those significant Arichi Long had 45 total insignificant, so he doubled up the action and uh, it was being the aggressor bringing the fight to Arichi Long. You know, that might be the coward's way out, so to speak. I'm not trying to say that uh, Arichi Long's character is on the line here. Um, but Daniel stays undefeated. He is now a 3 0 in the UFC with one no contest. Arichi Long sticks with his one fight winning streak after the no contest. Honestly, I doubt they booked this fight. I wouldn't rebook this fight. So if that's the case, give me Daniel and Montel Jackson a little step up. 
And for Arichi Long, he could fight Miles Johns. And then further in the prelims, another underdog that came to eight. We had Max Griffin with a split decision victory over Jeremiah Wells. And man, this fight was such a close, hard-fought battle. It was really Max being patient, especially early in the fight, and coming forward and attacking with very clean, straight technical strikes. While Jeremiah, on the other hand, is like the completely opposite style. He's throwing these huge 100% power bombs from all angles and was literally exploding at max. He'd cover the whole canvas distance of the shorter canvas because uh, the apex has a smaller octagon. But he would cover the whole bat, come in, explode at max. Max ate a couple good shots. And I know on social, when they showed the tweets or the X's, I guess you should say, uh, up on the screen and while I was on Twitter, um, there was definitely mixed scorecards. Some people thought all rounds were a little bit everywhere, uh, maybe besides round two. Um, but I think the judges did get this fight right, although it was very, very close. I had Max winning round one, especially with the late takedown. He matched Jeremiah's takedown, and he won round three. Jeremiah won round two. But for this fight, as crazy as different styles these guys had, the further the fight went, uh, went on, I feel like it wore and slowed down Jeremiah Wells more. You can't have those 100% volume gas shots, um, you know, and that's a big difference of the fight because the guy does hit so hard, it allows Max to come in, be more forward, be a little bit more aggressive as the fight went on. And um, again, props to Max for eating some of those shots. Jeremiah ate some good shots on Max part two. Both guys definitely were trying to get the finish. Breaking down the stats, Max landed 36 total strikes, 26 of those significant, and he had one takedown in two attempts, so 50%. And Jeremiah landed 43 total strikes, 32 of those significant. He had a takedown. He was one for two as well. And both men also scored exactly a minute and 40 seconds of control time. So you say, Shane, look at those stats. Jeremiah has more total strikes and significant. They both have a takedown, both uh, a minute 40 of control time. Yeah, for sure. But this is round via round, right? Although uh, Jeremiah got a takedown and landed a couple strikes. Max was controlling the octagon. He landed the cleaner strikes, the more damaging strikes. He got the takedown at the end of the round and controlled majority of the round there. Jeremiah easily won round two. I thought Max easily won round three. So that's how it is, round-based scoring for those of you that forget. So Max now ends his one-fight losing streak. He does start a new winning streak. He is 2-2 two and two since 2022. And I'm, I've been impressed with Max. You know, he's, he's getting older. And uh, he's been there, done that, fought a lot of names, been had his ups and downs. But he's fighting very clean and technical later in his career, which... You know, some people towards the back half of their 30s, it don't matter. They're, they're on a steep decline. I have not seen that for Max at this level. And Jeremiah extends his losing streak to two. He is three and two since 2022, though. Had a good 2022. So where do these guys go next? I honestly think the perfect fight, uh, next fight for Max is Carlston Harris. Um, Carlston Harris defeated uh, Jeremiah Wells previously as well. Um, and for Jeremiah, how about a scrap with the young, previously undefeated fighter who suffered his first loss, Gabriel Bonfim. 
Moving on to the light heavyweights before the main card, we had Marcin Procnio with a unanimous decision over Devin Clark. This was a fight that was so damn close, hard to pick. I did get the pick wrong. You got to pick somebody. Um, the discussion that was really being had coming into this fight was, in my opinion, Devin Clark's underperformances. And he said that to get back on the winning track, he was going to focus on his wrestling, get his wrestling roots flowing. And I expected that, but that was not the case in this fight as it was really Marcin's non-traditional, you know, footwork, being too much, those crazy angles and strikes that he came in was really just keeping Clark stuck. It looked like he was stuck in mud. He was just kind of chilling there for a lot of the fight and not being super aggressive. And Devin Clark is an athletic specimen. I mean, the dude's massive. His quads are like A.J. Dillon quads. I'm like, man, come on, throw some kicks in there. You know, instead of one strike here, one kick there, follow it up with some combos. And I'm not too sure if it was that Procneo had too much good movement, he couldn't time it, or what the deal was, but it seemed like he was stuck in mud for most of the evening. He was not bringing the fight forward. Procneo was just sitting at striking range and firing off combinations that was working at his will. And at the very end of round three, Procneo, from all the strikes, he was, you know, basically landing on Devin as a punching bag. He completely gassed himself out. And when I say completely, if you ask the guy to run up some stairs, I don't think he could have. Um, I mean, the guy was completely gassed and Clark had an opportunity. He was teeing off on him. He just really didn't look that aggressive to finish it. You know, he could have created some separation and just kept grounding and pounding. I thought he could have sought a finish in round three, but maybe he was gassed from being stuck in mud through the fight. I don't know. Uh, kind of a weird fight. Statistically, Devin landed 53 total in significant strikes, and he was 0 for 2 in his takedown attempts. The takedowns came later in the fight when he was clearly getting outstruck, and they were sloppy attempts really far out, but you got to credit Procneo. He knew Devin was probably going to take some shots. Um, Martin landed 112 total strikes, 101 of those significant, and he was 1 for 1 on his own takedown attempts. So did not see that coming. So now Devin extends his losing streak to two. He is two and three since 2022. And Marcin ends his one fight losing streak. He starts a new winning streak and is two and two since 2022. So I would love to see Marcin fight Daun Jung next. I think that would be the appropriate match. And for Devin, he could take on Maxime Grishin. I think that would make a ton of sense. But brutal night in the office for Devin Clark. Nice win for Procdio. Moving on to the main card. Um, I mean, I, I, I really couldn't believe this one. Rodolfo Vieira with a round one submission via my favorite submission, the arm triangle choke, over Armin Petrosian. This was a performance of the night. The Black Belt Hunter 50 G's. And the reason I can't believe this and why it's interesting to me is you let Rodolfo basically close distance, slowly go down and grab your leg to get you down for an easy single takedown. That's the one thing you cannot do in this fight. And that early on, I mean, this was probably a minute in, maybe two minutes. I, I can't remember exactly, but it was the first half of round one. 
and the guy doesn't take a shot trying to do that. He doesn't kick him. He doesn't do anything. He just lets him go down, grab his leg, boom, easy takedown. And obviously, as the black belter, you would expect from a guy nicknamed the black belt hunter, he was able to progress positions, get an arm triangle submission, and that's all it was early in round one. And uh, the, the controversy here was right before Armin was going out, he did a, a soft double tap, which is definitely him tapping. Uh, but once the ref pulled off Rodolfo, Armin acted like he was getting up and trying to continue the fight. And then he was trying to debate that he didn't tap. He was upset. But I'm glad that they, you know, I don't know if they could have resumed the fight anyways. But they kept the situation what it was because he clearly tapped. Kind of a weird sight. I'm sure he wa will watch the film back and understand that he was probably going out. Statistically, it only took Rodolfo 14 total and six significant strikes. He had three takedowns, a submission attempt, and two minutes and 46 uh, seconds of control time. And Armin landed 14 total and nine significant strikes. So next, I think it would be great for Adolfo to fight Brad Tavares, who also fought on this card. Um, that's a big win for him. And for Armin, how about Abdul Razak Al-Hassan? Two very powerful strikers. That would be a blast. Moving on, we had the OG, Michael Johnson, with the unanimous decision over Darius Flowers. And this was uh, interesting because I figured this would be a good striking battle, but Darius was really controlling the fight when it was only a kickboxing fight. You know, when, when they were standing there and trading shots, he was having a ton of success with the, with, the, with the leg kicks on Michael. I didn't expect that. So Michael had to um, go to the old grappling heavy well to get his advantage, still the decision. And by round three with him getting those easy takedowns, I mean, blast double legs by Michael Johnson, still at the age that he's in, putting in that work. He loved to see it. I mean, he exhausted Flowers, uh, the younger fighter. You know, Flowers had some decent strikes, not just the kicks, but also uh, some power strikes. And he was having a massive amount of success while it was a kickboxing fight. And he, he made a guy who likes to brawl turn into grappler. So um, I did not quite see that fully happening. I, I knew Michael probably would mix in some grappling, but I, I figured he'd be more successful while they were uh, trading strikes. Statistically, Michael landed 80 total strikes, 61 of them significant. He had four takedowns and eight attempts, so 50%. And he had six minutes of control time compared to Darius's 52 total strikes, 33 of them significant, and he was 0 for, due, 0 for 2 in takedown attempts of his own. So Michael now ends his one-fight losing streak. He does start a new winning streak and moves to 3-2 and two since 2022. And Darius extends his losing streak to 2 and he is still seeking his first UFC win after the Contender Series victory. So I would love to see the OG veteran take on Rafa Garcia next. And for Darius, he could take on another OG veteran and Clay Guida. And then we had some scraps, a certified banger, exactly like we thought it would be. We had RoboCop Gregory Rodriguez with a round three TKO over Brad Tavares. And 
As expected, this fight went everywhere. It was a gritty, hard-fought battle. Gregory did his best RoboCop impression. He moved forward like a robot, possessed serious power in his strikes. He out-wrestled Brad also. Um, he had takedowns in round one and two. And after the top control and the damage that he delivered uh, and that was landed by round three, Brad really didn't have anything left. Gregory got the finish, an impressive win, an impressive finish. Um, what a fun fight this was for fight fans. Now, statistically, Brad landed 42 total strikes, 37 of those significant, compared to Gregory's 79 total and 71 significant strikes. Uh, Robocop also had two takedowns and six attempts, and he had three minutes of control time. So Gregory now extends his winning streak to two. He is four and two since 2022. Six fights in two years. The guy has been active. And then Brad ends his one fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. He is one and three since 2022. So for me, the next fight for RoboCop, we got to give him a top 15. Somebody like Andre Muniz or Roman Delizzi. And for Brad, I think a fight with Rodolfo Vieira, like I mentioned earlier, that's the one to make. And then the coming out party for Mr. 50K. And damn right, he got 50K for that performance. We had Dan Ige with a round one knockout over Andre Feely. He got the 50 Gs and he got the walk-off KO. Now this was, you know, to preface a short notice fight that Andre subbed in for. The interesting storyline is that both of these guys have actually trained together for quite some time. And it's interesting because if Andre's taking this fight on short notice, you would think there was something that he liked. But Dan put that to, uh, to rest pretty damn quickly with the vicious right-hand knockout. And it only took Dan 11 total and significant strikes with that knockdown. And Andre landed 8 total and significant strikes. So Dan now... Ends that one fight losing streak, which was a bad loss. Starts a new winning streak. He is 3-2 and two since 2022. And he moves up one spot in the rankings to number 12. Now Andre ends his one fight winning streak. He starts a new losing streak and is 2-3 and three since 2022. Much like I was saying about Robocop, I just feel like Dan deserves a chance to fight up now. I think this is uh, great for both men based off what happened recently. But give me Dan Ige and Arnold Allen, please. Let's make that happen. And for Andre, he can square up with Nate Landaware, a little Nate the Train action. And then in the main event, a little bit of a shocker here, Jack Hermanson with unanimous decision over Joe Pfeiffer. And the reason I say a little bit of a shocker because Joe was coming out hot. Be like Joe, he was doing his thing. He had the signature power and aggressiveness in the first two rounds. But the smart veteran that Jack is, you know, he was fighting for a five-round fight, uh, the main event like he was want, you know, like it's set up to be. He wanted Joe to prove that he can last 25 minutes at that crazy pace. And during the first two rounds when Joe was firing away, you know, Jack was doing his best to shell up, you know, kind of sh shrugging some of those shots off on his shoulders and letting Joe gas himself out. 
Now, I thought that Jack might be on, on the decline coming into this fight. You know, I, th I thought um, he'd be on his way to slip up, and he showcased that that was not the case at all, even after a full calendar year off with no fights. One of the more critical parts of this fight was also what Joe thought was a potential eye poke, but it was actually a punch to the eye, a clean punch. You know, he tried to protest it. They, they let the fight keep going, which was a great call by the ref. Um, but Joe said after the fight that that took his vision away, so he couldn't do what he wanted the rest of the fight. Um, but with two minutes left of the second, the, mo the, the momentum was clearly sling uh, swinging towards the Joker anyways. Um, you know, Joe could say, maybe if I had my eye, blah, blah, blah. But Jack, you know, the, he controlled the latter three rounds and part of that second round. He was even able to get Joe down. He got a takedown to ice the fight. And Joe just laid on his back, accepted guard, didn't have the energy to even try to get back up. What a performance by the Joker man. And uh, what a big learning lesson for Joe Pfeiffer. Now, statistically, Jack landed 188 total strikes. 121 of those were significant. He did have a takedown in two attempts and three minutes of control time. And Joe landed 95 total strikes, 92 of those significant, and he was 0 for 6 in takedown attempts. Now, Jack ends his one-fight losing streak and starts a new winning streak. He is now 2-2 two two since 2022 and moves up one spot in the rankings to number 10. And Joe ends his five-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak and suffers his first loss in the UFC. So Jack mentioned in his post-fight interview the opportunity to potentially fight Nasruddin Amavov, and I completely agree with that, especially after that performance. He deserves to fight up in the rankings as well. These OGs showing out, defending their top 15 against young fighters, let them fight up in the top 15. And for Joe, a banger. Give me Jung Young Park. I think that would be a fantastic fight for both men. But that was the Apex card. Joe Pfeiffer, learning lesson. Dan Ige still on the show. Robocop doing his thing. And the OG Michael Johnson still out there getting dubs. But this weekend, again, UFC 298. We have the early prelims at 3 p.m. Pacific on UFC Fight Pass. I believe it should still be on ESPN Plus as well. And then we have the prelims at 5 p.m. on ESPN or ESPN Plus. And the pay-per-view kicks off at 7 p.m. Pacific. Some good fights that we will not break down. We have the Contender Series alums, Oban Elliott, Danny Barlow, and Bredson Ribeiro making their UFC debuts. And then we have the Road to the UFC winner, Rinya Nakamura, taking on Ultimate Fighter alum, Carlos Vera. That fight I'm super excited about. We're going to kick it off, though, with the first night, first fight in the early prelims. We have Andrea KGB Lee, 35 years old, with a 13-8 and record and the number 15 next to her name, taking on Miranda Fear the Maverick. She's 26 years old with a 14 and 5 record. And, you know, it's kind of crazy we're getting a ranked fighter in the, the, the top of the prelims here. Um, but both of these women are in completely different stages of their careers. Although Andrea is ranked, she may be fighting for her UFC career, even though she is ranked. 
Um, Miranda has had some road bumps in her UFC journey, but she's still young and looking for a chance to get back into the top 15. Breaking this down, Andrea has a Kaioshin style, a black belt in Kaioshin. She's got a brown belt in judo and BJJ. She's an Invicta, Legacy FC, and LFA alum. She was a former LFA champion. She's on a three-fight losing streak. She has not won since November of 2021. Five of her 13 wins are via submission, and she does have a four-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, Miranda trains out of Team Elevation. She's got a black belt in BJJ. She's an Invicta alum. She's on a one-fight winning streak. She is 3-1 since 2022, and 7 of her 12 wins are via submission. I do think Andrea is going to have the better striking in this fight. Her kickboxing and boxing background I think will pay dividends. I haven't been super impressed with Miranda's striking. For Miranda, you know, clearly she has the age advantage. She's still learning a ton. She could grow a lot from fight to fight. But when it comes down to grappling and BJJ, I think it's a closer fight than most people think. I do think Miranda will have the wrestling advantage for the takedown opportunities. Um, She's going to probably look to get Andrea down early and often, get top control, tire the older fighter out, get some ground and pound. But this fight is razor close in my mind. I think Andrea is going to outlast Miranda in a tit-for-tat fight. I'm sure there's takedowns from both women, some shots back and forth. And I, I, I bet you it comes down to a really close split decision on the judges' court card. I really just think that watching Andrea Lee against Macy Barber, which wasn't that long ago, she outgrappled Miranda or Macy Barber, and um, she, she did have good striking advantages there. And I don't know if she's going to... You know, technically, she had a split decision loss against Macy. But with as well as she fought Macy, I don't know how Miranda is going to, to deliver in a better way. For that reason, I am taking the underdog, Andrea Lee, but I am avoiding her on a parlay if possible. Starting with the dogs. They're coming to eat on the pay-per-view. <laughs> Moving into the prelims. We got Pizau, Marcos, Rogeria, De Lima. 38 years old with a 21 and 10 and one record and the number 15 next to his name taking on Justin Badman Taffa. I'm looking at the uh, odds real quick. Sorry, should have this up all red tea. Um, he is 30 years old with a seven and three record. Now here is another fight between two men and different stages in their career. Marcos, although he's coming off a loss, has had some quality wins versus opponents better than Justin has ever faced, in my opinion. He's a well-rounded fighter. He does well mixing in the striking and grappling throughout the fight. But the question is, is how is he going to handle coming back after that nasty knee that he suffered against Derek Lewis in Salt Lake? I got to see that in person. And Marcos said he, he messed up his teeth. It messed him up pretty bad. And Justin is a hard-hitting thrower who has had uh, mixed results in the UFC, but he's coming off his best win versus Austin Lane in an early knockout. And Austin's a big dude. 
He's just entering his prime at 30 years old. He's only getting better. Um, but breaking this one down, Marcos, he trains out of ATT. He's got a black belt in BJJ. He's an ultimate fighter, Brazil, and Strike Force alum. He's in a one-fight losing streak and is 2-2 two two since 2022. 14 of his 21 wins are via knockout. Five of his not nine losses are via submission. And he does have a three-inch reach advantage. Now, Justin, he has a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a three-fight winning streak. He had the no contest with Lane from the eye poke in between. And all seven of his wins come via knockout. So obviously, a guy on a three-fight winning streak, seven wins via knockout, not all in the UFC, but he's full of confidence at the right time. But I think the vets are going to show the young fighters a thing or two in Anaheim. I'm going to take Marcos Ruggieria. He is the Vegas favorite, and we are putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on, we have... Amanda Lemos, 36 years old with a 13-3-1 and record and the number three next to her name, taking on Mackenzie Dern, 30 years old with a 13-4 and record and the number seven next to her name. Now, both women here, they're looking to get a sour taste out of their mouths after their biggest fights. Um, take, they took L's in their biggest fights in their UFC careers. You know, this is a clash of style affair as Amanda is going to have a striking advantage and Mackenzie's definitely going to have a grappling advantage. Breaking this one down, Amanda is tied for the most knockdowns landed in UFC women's strawweight division history with five. She's a jungle fight alum and former champion with two successful title defenses. She's on a one fight losing streak. She is two and two since 2022. And eight of her 13 wins are via finish. Now, Mackenzie, she's got a BJJ style. She's got a third degree black belt in BJJ. She's recently changed coaches. She's not with Henry Hooft anymore. She won gold in the 2015 ADCC Worlds in the Worlds and the World Cup. In 2014, she won the Nogi Worlds. And in 2016, she won the Worlds and the World Cup. Her grappling, some of the best. Her dad is a legend. She has the most submission wins in UFC women's strawweight division history with four. And she also has the most submission attempts in the UFC women's strawweight division with 15. She's on a one-fight losing streak. She's also 2-2 two and two since 2022. And seven of her 13 wins are via submission. Now, Mackenzie striking versus Jessica Andrade which was barely three months ago, it looked like a regression. And Jessica made her pay. I don't think it's going to be much difference in this fight when she's going to try to stack, uh, trying to strike against Amanda Lemos. But again, Amanda is nearing 37. She's only fought once since November of 2022. That was a, a, a win uh, for Amanda against a very good striker in Marina Rodriguez who also outstruck Mackenzie Dern pretty badly. But Mackenzie's going to have to hope age and time is getting to Amanda. It's slowing her down and that she is confident she could get Amanda down, submit her, and I'm just not betting on that. For that reason, I'm taking Amanda Limos 
but I am avoiding her on a parlay if possible. Both women definitely need this win. Big fight. Very, very hard to pick. Moving on into the main card, we got Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, 30 years old with an 11-2 record and the number 14 next to his name, taking on Roman Kapilov, 32 years old with a 12-2 record. And to kick off the pay-per-view, we're getting two men in their primes. They're rolling at this point in their career, and they're looking to make a fun, action-packed affair to really get the Anaheim crowd roaring to start the evening. Now, Anthony, he's an orthodox fighter. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He's an LFA and Contender Series alum. He had the 2021 submission of the year against Rodolfo Vieira. He's on a four-fight winning streak that dates back to 2021, so he hasn't been super active. Seven of his 11 wins are via submission. Meanwhile, Roman, he's a southpaw fighter. Two of his last three fights have been performance of the night. He's been showing up. He's been showing out. I saw him take a short notice fight in Salt Lake, and, and he got a head kick knockout. Um, he's on a four-fight winning streak as well. 11 of his 12 wins are via knockout. And he is a Fight Nights global alum and former champion with one successful title defense. Now, this is really interesting and ironic because the fight was originally supposed to happen in September of 2023, but Fluffy was uh, set to fight Chris Curtis. Chris Curtis withdrew due to injury, so he was then replaced by Roman Kopolov, but then Alexander withdrew due to an injury. So the fight that was originally supposed to happen this time was Fluffy versus Ikram Alaskarov, and now Roman Kopolov is filling in again, and the fight is finally happening. That's some... Some crazy magic in the fight world there. And this is somewhat of a short notice fight for Roman. I think it took it like three or four weeks ago. And Anthony, you know, he's looked very good in his last two fights. But so has Roman. Alexander has been in the UFC for quite some time. You know, he's fought very good competition. He's got good wins like Brendan Allen, or, although it was, you know, a lot quite a while ago. Jun Yong Park, Rodolfo Vieira, Mark andre Berrio, and Edmund Shabazian. Now, Roman has been very solid in the UFC, has some quality wins of his own, but I definitely think this is the stiffest test yet. I expect Anthony to move a lot in this fight, mix in grappling to stay away from Roman's power, and I think that's going to help him get the victory. For that reason, I'm taking Alexander Hernandez, or Anthony Hernandez. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Marab, the Dwal the machine, Dwalishwili. 33 years old with a 16-4 record and the number two next to his name. Taking on Henry Triple C Cejudo, 37 years old with a 16-3 record and the number three next to his name. Now, the fact that Marab has to fight again uh, before a title shot, it's definitely sad, but this is the life that he, ha he has to deal with and now has to fight the older former champion who fought his teammate in May of last year, which is Aljamain Sterling. So I, I don't think Marab has for this camp, but he does train out of Sierra, uh, Sarah Longo fight team. 
He's been in Vegas, I think, with Team Syndicate. He has a black belt in judo. He has the most unanimous decision wins in UFC bantamweight division history with seven. The most takedowns landed in UFC bantamweight division history was 61. And he had the most takedowns attempted in a bout in UFC history. He had 49 against Peter Yan. And I think that's a big reason why he's not fighting for a title. A lot of decision wins and takedowns. Um, he is a Cage Fury and Ring of Combat alum. He was a Ring of Combat former champion with one successful title defense. He's on a nine-fight winning streak that dates back to 2018. And he does have a four-inch reach advantage. Now, Henry has a freestyle wrestling style. He trains at a Fight Ready. That's his own gym here in Phoenix. He has a yellow belt in Shotokan Karate. He won gold in the 2008 Olympics in Beijing for freestyle, and he won the 06 and 07 U.S. National Championships. He is the former bantamweight and flyweight champion. He had one successful title defense at both weights, and he is the seventh... Uh, two-division champion in UFC history, the fourth simultaneous two-division champ. He had the 2018 upset of the year against Demetrius Johnson, which won him the flyweight title. He is in the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. He was inducted in 2018. And currently, he's on a one-fight losing streak, which was his only fight since he came out of retirement, and he was off for three years. Eight of his 16 wins are via knockout, and he is also a Legacy FC alum. Now, this is a brutal fight to pick. This should be a title eliminator fight. But depending on how these guys show out, Corey Sanhagen might slide in instead. Um, but Murab has been running through people with his cardio and wrestling. That's why he's the machine. You would think that Henry would be able to block Murab's strengths with his wrestling skill. But Aljo was able to get Henry down, down and he outgrappled him. You know, Henry has been out for quite some time. In the new UFC countdown, he announced that he was changing coaches. I guess that this is just a bunch of BS. That's not the case. You know, one of the strengths that Henry's known for is the team and how they prepare their game plan. He's shown that against very good fighters, TJ Dillashaw, Demetrius Johnson. I mean, we're talking some of the best in the game. And after three years layoff, he looked solid against Aljo. He battled his way in that fight. Um, you know, Murab trained with Aljo. He's going to be, you know, he's probably going to have a lot of preparation and understanding of what that game plan was against Henry. Um, Murab is coming off nice wins. He's got Pewter Jan, uh, Jose Aldo, Marlon Marias. But can Henry come in and get the job done? I, I, I really don't know. I do think three rounds is going to benefit him so he doesn't get completely exhausted. I think he shows up in shape. He's hungrier than ever. I am going to take triple C. I bet against him a lot in my day. I'm not betting against him here. He's at plus 170. I'm taking Henry Cejudo. The underdog's coming to eat. I'm not putting that on a parlay, though. Do not have the balls to do so. But moving on, we got three more fights. Some massive names in this card. The main card is stacked. We got Jeff Hands of Steel Neal, 33 years old with a 15-5 and five record and the number eight next to his name, taking on the future Ian Machado Gary, 26 years old, 
undefeated with the 13-0 record and the number 10 next to his name. Now, this fight is another step up for Ian, but in my mind, it isn't a massive leap from the Neil Magny fight. I think Neil's just a better striker. Now, Jeff Neal is claiming that he's going to save America by winning this fight. My guess is he's going to come in super aggressive. He's going to look to get the finish early and take some risks. Breaking it down, Ian now trains at a shoot box Diego Lima. He left Killcliffe. He got kicked out of Leon Edwards' gym. There's been all the drama going on in his life. He has a black belt in judo. He's a Cage Warriors alum and former champion. He's undefeated on a 13-fight winning streak. He's 6-0 in the UFC, and 7 of his 13 wins are via knockout. And remember, he's only 26. He's not even really close to his prime. Now, Jeff trains out of Fortis MMA. He has a purple belt in BJJ. His last two fights have been fight of the night and performance of the night. He's showing up. He's showing out. He is a Legacy FC, LFA, and Contender Series alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is only 1-1 one one since 2022. And 9 of his 15 wins are via knockout. Now, this bout was actually originally supposed to take place in August of last year. But Neil withdrew due to health reasons. So Ian ended up having that Neil Magny fight instead. Now, Neil hasn't been super active. His last fight against Shavkat, he did last until the third round. He had some moments actually in that fight against a very, very good Shavkat. It ended up being a catchweight bout due to him missing weight, which could have played a little bit of part of that as well. But that fight was almost a year ago. And before that, he knocked out Vicente Luque. Now, Ian, you know, he, like I said, he's got a lot of drama circling around him. It's hard to know where his mindset's at. On the countdown, it looks like he's got a clear head. He's, he's loving the Brazil time, and, you know, he's got his family there. It seems like he's got tr good training with a good gym. He seems to be happy, but that's on camera. You never know. I do believe that Ian is going to be too crisp of a striker for Neil. You know, his kicks are a weapon, a lot like what Bilal Muhammad's been doing, just leg kicking or, you know, high kicking, body kicking, and just kicking in general the shit out of people. I think that's going to be a big difference in this fight like it were for Ian in his last few fights. And I'd be surprised if there was a finish here. But if Jeff is going to win, um, it's going to be by finishing Gary. I don't think he will outstrike him and outpoint him over the course of three rounds. For that reason, I am taking the future. I am not putting him on a parlay if possible. Moving on. We got the co-main event. We got Robert. The Reaper Whitaker, 33 years old with a 25-7 and seven record and the number three next to his name, taking on Paolo the Eraser Costa, 32 years old with a 14-2 and two record and the number six next to his name. What's crazy is Robert Whitaker got up the mountain so fast. He's only 33. He's right in the middle of his prime. He's still fighting the best to his potential. And uh, it almost seems like after his last loss, he's probably like late 30s, you know, at least five more years older than he is. And he's not. But you want to talk about a banger. This screams clang and bang all day long. Don't blink. We got the former champion, a guy you could say was a gatekeeper to a title shot in the division. 
and one of the more intriguing men in the division. Paulo's super funny. He's got the secret juice, but he has struggled to show up for his book fights and make them happen. So until this weigh-in happens, I really don't know if it's going to happen. But Paulo hasn't fought in a year and a half, and that was against an almost 40-year-old dude in Luke Rockhold. And then before that, it was a year in between each fight. He never fought more than once a year, uh, except back in his debut year, when he uh, debuted in the UFC in 2017, he had three fights. I know a lot of this has been contracts. He's trying to get paid more. Um, I think he finally got a new contract, and now he's happy, so we shouldn't deal with the canceled fights anymore. Um, but a lot of those fights were announced, too, before he had actually signed the con- signed the contract. So keep that in mind. Hopefully, we don't have that issue here. Breaking this down, Robert has a black belt in Hapkido, Goju Ryu Karate, and BJJ. He was on the Australian national team for freestyle wrestling. He is an Ultimate Fighter alum and champion. He's obviously the former middleweight champion. He's the first fighter of Australian nationality to win a UFC championship. The first New Zealand-born fighter to win a championship. He had the 2018 Fight of the Year against Yoel Romero. The 2017 Fighter of the Year, who was also the International Fighter of the Year that year. He is on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-2 since 2022. Nine of his 24 wins are via knockout, five via submission, so 14 of his 24 wins are via finish. Three of his seven losses are via knockout, to knock out or to be knocked out. He also has an interesting three-and-a-half-inch leg reach advantage for those kicks. Now, Paulo has had five canceled fights, three actual fights since 2020, He's got a black belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter Brazil and Jungle Fight alum. He's a former Jungle Fight uh, champion with one successful title defense. He's tied with DDP, or Dricus du Plessis, for the most significant strikes landed per minute in the UFC middleweight division with 6.49. He is on a one-fight winning streak, which was his only fight since 2021. 11 of his 14 wins are via knockout. Now, the great part about this fight is majority of it is going to come down to striking. It's going to be high volume. It's going to be bombs galore. And again, it's wild to think that Robert is just now in the middle of his prime, coming off the toughest loss in his UFC career, where he technically got knocked down by a DDP jab in the second round. But Robert mentioned... Uh, has mentioned overlooking DDP in that fight. I do expect the hungriest and best version of Rob, Bobby Knuckles style. But Paulo possesses serious power. So does Robert Whitaker. But I think Bobby is going to have better defense. He's going to have better footwork, a better IQ, and that's going to pay big dividends in this fight. I don't expect Costa just to bull rush and come forward against a big, sturdy, heavy hitter like Robert. Now, Whitaker, I do think, will have a big grappling advantage. It's going to be interesting to see if he uses that in this fight or if he just tries to outstrike Paulo. That's going to make the fight super interesting, though. But Robert is just too well-rounded. He's too tough. He's too skilled. For that reason, I'm taking the Reaper 
We put them on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. And then we have the main event of the evening. We got Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, 35 years old with a 26-3 record, taking on Ilya El Matador Topiria, 27 years old, rocking an undefeated 14-0 record and the number three next to his name. Now, Alex, he's been full of exciting fights since 2018. It's been nonstop. Multiple a year, one of the more active champions. This is the first time a prospect in the featherweight division, the division he's reigned, has brought much excitement to get a title shot since he fought Brian Ortega in 2021. And we know how much fun of a fight that was. This time, though, Alex is getting a well-rounded fighter with some serious boxing skills that's full of confidence. It's going to be a fun one. Breaking it down, Alex trains out of city kickboxing. He has a black belt in BJJ. He has five successful title defenses at featherweight. He's the first Australian-born fighter to win a championship. He's the 2023 Fighter of the Year against Islam Makachev, the first one. He has the highest striking differential in UFC featherweight history at 3.03. He's got the longest fight time in featherweight at 17 minutes and 40 seconds because all he does is fight title shots that's longer than a three-minute fight or three-round fight. He has the most leg kicks landed in a featherweight fight, 75 against Mox Holloway the first time. The most total leg strikes landed as well, which was 81 against Jose Aldo. He's the former pound-for-pound number one fighter in the world. He was the 2019 Breakout Fighter of the Year, the 2022 Fighter of the Year, and he had the 2021 Fighter of the Year against Brian Ortega. He is on a one-fight losing streak, but at featherweight, he's technically on a 12-fight winning streak in the UFC. But technically outside an all-pro, he has a 23-fight winning streak. The only losses have come against Islam at the lightweight division. 13 of his 26 wins are via knockout. Two of his losses are via knockout. He has a two and a half inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, Ilya is an orthodox fighter. He has a black belt in BJJ. His last three fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He's showing up. He's showing out. That's why he earned the title fight. And also probably because... You know, he hasn't fought Max Holloway yet, so Alex actually gets a chance to fight a prospect. He is a Cage Warriors and Brave alum. He is undefeated on a 14-fight winning streak. He is 6-0 in the UFC. Eight of his 14 wins are via submission. Four via knockout. Twelve of his 14 wins are via finish. Now, Ilya is an extremely talented fighter. I do not doubt this at all. I think the fact that he is facing Volk after that knockout loss, I think it's just the wrong time. You know, he mentioned not training in that uh, short notice fight against Islam Makachev. He, he was drinking. He wasn't taking camp seriously. I think he's going to be super hungry to defend the strap that he's defended so many times and has dominated this weight class. There's a lot of levels to this game in this division, especially you got really good fighters. You got Max on a whole nother level. And then you got Alex above that. 
it's really hard to range where Ilya is, especially since he hasn't fought uh, Max Holloway. But Ilya is so young. He's not even in his prime. He's like Ian Gary. He's, 20, he's 27 years old. Um, I know statistically fighters, especially champions that are over 35 years old, they're in bad company and they don't have uh, much success. And Volk hilariously addressed that in the commercial about him being an old man in the, in the uh, snippet and clips that he posted. I just don't think Volk is on the decline right now. The biggest concern is, you know, Volk suffering that nasty knockout barely three months ago. Does that have any effect on his mental game or on this fight at all? Uh, Ilya, to his credit also, has shown that he has the ability to go five rounds. He had the main event against Josh Emmett that was a complete beatdown on ABC, local TV, for five rounds. But the difference is Volk isn't just a power striker like Emmett. He's a crafty striker that usually gets what he wants. He mixes in a ton of kicks when needed. His strikes are perfection, and he is a tough, durable, strong dude. He used to be a 220-something pound rugby player. People forget that. Now, it's going to be interesting to see if Ilya looks to try to kick Volk, get some calf kicks in, uh, see if that will be successful, because maybe he could eliminate some of the things that Volk does well by bringing the leg kick game to him that's worked great for Ilya recently. Um, I'm also interested to see if either fighter actually looks to grapple in this fight. If I were to expect it to happen, I think it would come from Ilya just to test Volk's ability there as Brian Ortega had some success. But I'm not betting against the great Volkanovsky. I'm taking Alexander. I am putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. So UFC 298, you got Alexander, you got former champion Robert Whitaker, Henry Cejudo, a, a potential title uh, eliminator fight in the bantamweight division, the undefeated Ian Machado Gary, and a action-packed main event opener, Anthony Hernandez and Roman Kopilov. I've already paid for this pay-per-view because I'll be skiing. I need to be able to watch it back on demand uh, at my best conveniences. So I highly recommend paying for it if you're thinking about it. But up next, next Saturday, we have another fight night card, but no more Apex this time in Mexico. Not at the Apex, thank goodness. And this is headlined by Brandon Moreno and Brandon Roy Vall, the second fight between them. A top heavy but solid card. Uh, the must-see fight for me, is Yair Rodriguez and Brian Ortega. The first time they fought, Brian Ortega got hurt. They didn't get to complete the fight. So excited to see that go down. This is episode 35. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week. <laughs>